0: Welcome to Michigan HockeyCast 5.11 where we're going to wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year with some hockey. Right, Alex, you get to pick one. Would you rather have a guaranteed top three pick in the draft or a Lions playoff game? Lions playoff game. This year? Yeah. Because of the well, NFL? Well, so
1: I think in part it depends on the opponent.
0: Well, um, it would be the Vikings or the 49ers, right?
1: If it's the Vikings, the answer is absolutely the playoff game. <laughs> the 49ers, I think it's more interesting, but I well, think you right. still take the playoff So
0: game. let's say it's
1: the 49ers. I think you still probably take the playoff game because it's the NFL playoffs. There's a chance that Brock Purdy has a very bad game that day, and, you know, things fall your way. Um, I mean, it, I also think in general. Uh, The playoffs are random enough, right? Like, remember when the Panthers were really good that one year, and then they got in, they got the bye, and then they played their playoff game. I think it was against Kurt Warner and the Cardinals, and Jake DeLome just threw like five interceptions, and that was the end for the Panthers. That happened. Uh,
0: so Kurt Warner and the Cardinals were. So so DeLome played earlier, I think, than that. No, what, I, th- what year, I, I what year? What you talking? I'm looking
1: about? this up. Okay. The year they went to the Super Bowl. The Panthers. No, the Cardinals. The Cardinals. Oh, yeah, I see. Yeah, 2008. They were the West champion. They played yes. the Falcons in the first round, the wild card. Then the yes. next weekend, they go, I'm pretty sure, to Carolina, the last good Jake DeLome year. Because then they crash and oh, burn the I next season, okay. and then they draft Cam. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And DeLome just, like, I, I remember this game very okay. distinctly. Okay, okay, okay. He just, like, melts down. My point being, that can happen, especially when your quarterback is, is a young guy, right? I mean... Jake, daylight come and you got a delome. <laughs> All right, so you yeah, the, here we go. Two thousand eight, okay. Carolina Panthers. They were twelve and four. They lost the divisional playoffs to the Cardinals, thirteen to three. Oh wow! It's, uh, thirteen to three. Thirteen to thirty-three. There we go. Thirty-three, thirteen.
0: In Carolina?
1: In Carolina. Wow.
0: I do not remember that. I mean, I remember the Cardinals going on the run and making the Super Bowl. Yeah, he was
1: intercepted five times and lost a fumble as the Cardinals <laughs> reached. I told you, I remember this game. Like, okay. Like, I was at Target that night. So you were and like... And then we went home. Of t- course you were. And then we were watching the game. I you weren't at this. Meyer? No. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, point being that even really good teams in a one-game playoff can... Can have things go off the rails, especially when your quarterback is rickety.
0: Okay, would you trade one of your two first-round picks for a playoff win this year? <sighs> that is a tough.
1: one. That's, that's, a a good good, that's a good question. That's
0: what my. That's what it should have been. Because, like the whole thing about the, the Lions, Lions is they is, never win a playoff game. Yeah, but. I think the question is which pick, picks. though.
1: You need first-round picks to eventually try and build a team that will be better than just...
0: Obviously, you probably would not trade the top, games. like, five or seven pick that they're going to yep. get. Because, I mean, that's probably going to be a high-impact player. The second pick is going to be, what, like, late teens, early 20s?
1: Yeah, probably. In that range. On and so you'll probably
0: get a good player, but he may not be,
1: like... I think – so the argument about making the playoffs, and especially if you're playing the Vikings, is that that's like one of the rare times that they would have made the playoffs in my father's lifetime in which it's a winnable game. Because the whole thing about the Lions never winning the playoffs is it's not like, uh, you know, a certain hockey team that gets memed a lot of the time for losing in the first round <laughs> where – You know, you're constantly in Game Seven in these coin flip, high leverage games. Like the Lions don't win in the playoffs because they're always mediocre and they're always playing good teams. Like they don't have a shot. Well, they made the playoffs with Barry Sanders as like a nine and seven to eight and eight team many times, and were not competitive in those games because they were playing a really good team in the first. Didn't
0: they have a chance against? The Packers one year or something in yeah, like it 1993, yeah, yeah. When okay. they were at,
1: that was their last division title, okay, 92 93 season, 93 94, one of those well, they lost not... at home at the Silver Dome to Carve, oh, yeah, that's and right. then they made the wild card several times in the mid to late 90s and just got blown out every time. They weren't close, no, they weren't a good team, and then they make it three times under Stafford. Two Bowl. of those are blowouts. One time, you're going into the Superdome against the 13-3 and three Saints. Yeah, that was Zero happening. percent yeah. chance to win that game. <laughs> Negative and percent. Then the la- and then in 2016, they're going into Seattle, and with Stafford has a broken hand. Yeah. And has, like, been terrible for three straight weeks because he can't throw the ball. And they
0: were still, like, in it in the fourth quarter. Yeah, was Seattle like was not. They might have won that
1: game if Stafford's hand hadn't been injured. But with his hand injured, it was like, that was we're the be- not winning this
0: That game. was the beginning of, wow, Is Pete Carroll holding Russell Wilson back. Turns out, no. no.
1: <laughs> Russell Wilson was holding Pete Carroll back. <laughs> that's apparently
0: true. But, uh, the, but
1: the second game they should have won, right? They, the Cowboys won. They had a shot in. Well, they, so that's, they, they had, had
0: the DPI call that was Correct,
1: correct. That, yeah. But that that's it. That's the, like one game since they won the division last but, in which there was a conceivable chance going into the game it could happen. And if you go into Minnesota this year, you've already beaten them once. You should have beaten them the other time. You have a better point differential than them. It's a game. It's a real so, chance to win the game and that's all you can ask for as a wildcard team who's hypothetically nine and eight or ten and seven, depending on how the season shakes so out.
0: Do you think that this era of this team has a higher ceiling than when Stafford was getting them better, like in two thousand and nine or ten, when they were like starting to ramp up and you're like, This the franchise is now going to not be what we were a few years ago? Like, is this ceiling higher?
1: Yeah, I think so. Uh, it, it's always, it's, you can never say too positively about what a GM is until many years down the road. Sure. But I think the early returns from current management, at least in the draft, is pretty solid. Um Whereas even at that this stage in like 2011, I'm not sure that was the case necessarily. Well, in the their the draft was... they had a ton of picks. They got Stafford handed to them, and then outside of that, other than uh, I think it was DeAndre Levy, they got in the third round. The other picks they didn't really get anything out of 2010. They got Sue handed to them, yeah. and then not a whole lot else with those other picks. Some of that was bad luck with Javid Best, but. Uh, you know, this management, especially this rookie class, you have – I was looking at this the other day. I think that there is a very likely chance that all seven or eight picks from this current past draft are on the 53-man roster last, next year, which is very uh, unusual. Yeah, that's insane. That doesn't and normally happen. The, so
0: They also got a number of players from last year's draft.
1: Yeah, I, I think this year's draft was better, but they got some players. So I, I think the early returns are positive there. Um,
0: so if that's the case, they're going to be in the playoffs in – Down the road, especially you look at around the division and like probably this is as
1: probably as good
0: as Minnesota is going to be
1: unless they. I think the one wrench you would potentially have, and this is the big question to be answered, is number one, is Ben Johnson hired as a head coach in the offseason? And number two, if he is, you know, how well does Dan Campbell replace him? Well, I mean, he's he's hired a bunch of good coaches. Yeah. and, And, you know, we'll see. I mean, it
0: seems like. I mean, I
1: think what you can say about Campbell to this point more is that he has shown a willingness to adjust, and last year things are really going bad offensively, so he fires Anthony Lynn midseason. Well, sort of fired him. They carry combs him. He was still on the staff, but...
0: (laughs) You're going to do other things He was
1: no longer the play caller. We'll let you know when the game is. The offense gets a lot better, and then this year, you know, it's been been pretty good uh, kind of wire-to-wire, and then... This season, they can't cover anybody at all, and so they make a change at DB's coach, and things have gotten better. So it's a willingness to change the staff, and so it's not that all the hires were great to start, but more that he's not sort of Mark D'Antonio of the late years where we can't fire any coaches. We just have to give them different jobs.
0: Because we all belong to the same place together. Yeah, I get it. Well, so I guess that my point then is that all right, I'm 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 not going to, like, jinx them, but, like, if they're actually going to be good, even, e- even if, like, Goff is the quarterback going forward and they don't get Lamar Jackson or they don't draft, like, a really good quarterback, the team is probably going to be good enough that they're going to be in the playoffs at least a few times with chances to win a game. So is this year worth rolling the dice and
1: sacrificing a pick or something versus... I think the answer would be no, but yeah. the context of the Lions' history means you can never <laughs> think about not taking a playoff. That in win. some
0: cases narratives still matter. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I that that's an interesting thought. Um. So what they have to basically win out.
1: Well, by the time people listen to this, they will probably know the result of the Sunday game, or is this being uploaded?
0: I don't tomorrow? know. Whenever you want to edit it and <laughs> go with it, probably. I don't know. Depends on if we do a podcast this weekend. Uh, this should tell all those Mgo listeners how when we make these decisions as <laughs> it's late enough. <laughs> that we're still uh
1: sure. if they have won the Jets game, then I think we really talk playoffs. Okay. Uh can they They can I looked at this last night. If they go 3 and 1 with a loss in the Jets game and they get help on Christmas Eve, and that's kind of the big swing moment. From? So on Christmas Eve, the Commanders play in San Francisco, the Giants play in Minnesota, yeah. and Seattle plays in Kansas City. If you get help from three teams that are all very good, or at least have very good records yeah. in Minnesota's case, and it's nice Minnesota's matched up with New York because New York is like the poor man's Minnesota in terms of the smoke and mirrors record. yeah. Um, so if you get the wipeout scenario... Because, I mean, the the home teams in those games are going to be touchdown favorites. Yeah. And so if the chalk holds and you get the wipeout Christmas Eve, then things look pretty good, even mm-hmm. if you go 3-1. Okay. But you need that help. Um, yeah. Well, but, you
0: are, I mean, any time that you're going to try to finish in the 6th or 7th spot, you ju- usually need help. Unless you're a, like, fading team.
1: Yeah, and you could also use help from, I think, on New Year's Day, like... The Colts might play the Giants and then the Browns might play the Commander, something like that. It's hard to count on the Colts. <laughs> <laughs> the Giants have been pretty bad recently. They in have. Case you yeah. have in check, so. No, that's,
0: that's true. They, ha- they had a fun start to the year, but it, it is. I gone mean, it's, for we're me.
1: at the point now where because we went, entered the week saying the Lions will need a little bit of help, but otherwise, if they went out, they're in. Now, they got the little bit of help last night, so their probability of making the playoffs if they were to win out is 97%. Really? Yep. Well, so they they got all the help that they needed in that scenario basically last night with Seattle uh, beating. So that or losing. Christmas Eve
0: presents that you were talking about is just insurance.
1: Well, that helps. If the Christmas Eve wipeout would make it so that if the Lions beat the Jets and beat the Panthers, they would wake up Christmas Day controlling their own destiny. Wow. All right but it also helps for the three-in-one scenario. So it's... Jamie Mack has been following this. He's been doing all the math along with me, yeah.
0: So, like, I guess there are just college people that come out of the woodwork when the Lions are relevant again. (laughs) It's tough to tell. Like, there's a bunch of... I mean, we talked about this one of the weeks, right? Where there's a number of different Michigan Twitter slash media people that pop up on Sunday on Twitter talking about the Lions and... I mean, I don't know. I, I, it seems like if people like football, they probably like football. So, yeah. I mean, I don't know. If you're a big Washington fan, what are the odds you're also a Seahawks fan when they're good? Probably high. Probably high. Yeah. So, all right. We should get to some hockey. Uh, Michigan played Michigan State last weekend in a home-and-home series. We did not record due to scheduling concerns earlier this week. So we're talking about it now as we try to remember those games <laughs> from a week ago, which has a tendency to happen. The first bullet point to talk about is guess who didn't play again because of now another situation, which is Adam Fantilli. Adam Fantilli. Who was sent to Canada to play in an exhibition game. I think it was like Friday or Saturday. One of those. Uh, no, it wasn't Friday. It was like Saturday, uh, I think. Yeah, it was Saturday. The team Canada inner scrimmage or something and he scored like two goals and you're like mm, okay yeah well we've seen that before so no fantelli they moved karen in uh to 4c at least that's how they listed him on the lineup which is <laughs> i mean he's been a rotational piece on defense and he's fine i think both of both of us are fine with him as you know somewhere between the fifth and the seventh defenseman We're also fine with him as somewhere between the, what, ninth and 8th and ninth winger or something like that.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. I was a little shocked to see him at 4C. But, hey. I mean, the thing about that is you don't really know what the usage is going to look like. Yeah. It was, I mean, he's always never been listed there, though. Sometimes you have a fourth line that, like, just doesn't play in a game. Right, where they that finish is, with like five minutes of ice time. That is
0: true in the NHL. Do you believe that's true in college? Have you I, seen well, that? we don't have ice time numbers, so. Okay, but like you watch people on the ice, and I will tell you that Michigan's fourth line. Michigan more rotates than through
1: much more. Since I the don't.
0: Red Era, Yeah. times that have infuriated me to no end, they have rotated through every dressed player on their team, and I'm just like, hey, let's not have Kevin Clare on the ice for
1: all this time. I, the Mike Babcock special. <laughs>
0: So Michigan goes to East Lansing on Friday. fantilli lists, or at least Adam fantilli lists, And they had a bright start. Um, They got a nice three-on-two early on. Rutger had a good look from sort of the house slot, and Dylan St. Cyr made a nice save. Estapa got in pretty tight. St. Cyr made another nice save. Uh, And then came the back-to-back two-on-ones for each team. So Jackson Hallam, one of the things that popped in this game, and we can talk about this or talk about it later or just mention it, but is I, it, Jackson Hallam's speed really jumped off the ice to me. Uh, he didn't, um, like, produce a lot in this series, but they played him on the top line with Mackie and Duke on Friday. And, I mean, he would, he'd do the thing like when you're a kid and you know you're faster than somebody. And even though the other person is in decent position, but you just, like, keep going wider and wider and wider because you know that you're going to get around them at some point. And he must have done that, like, three times in this game, where he's not necessarily in an advantageous position, but just is that much faster than the person that is lined up against him. And he just beat him, sort of like, you know, when you're running a go route and you know the guy can't check you and you beat him to the sideline you just run past him. I mean, Hallam did that, like, three times. And that's how he created his two-on-one here. The problem is, is the same thing it's sort of been for a lot of the year with Hallam, is that he flies up the ice, has his two-on-one, gets to, like, the circles and dots, and then doesn't really do anything and just drifts into the goalie and shoots, and it's a relatively easy save. You
1: know, things to work on moving forward. He, I mean, he was always going to be a guy that was going to need to round out the other parts of his game. Yeah.
0: Um, And then just after that, Michigan State gets, I think, their only odd man rush of the game. Uh, Two-on-one back, and Portillo makes a nice blocker save. Maybe his best save of the game. Um, we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, but then Michigan finally breaks through. Uh, a really nice play from Nolan Moyle. Kind of in the house to uh, left circle, where he bothers one of the Spartan players, forces a puck turnover. It comes loose to TJ Hughes, who's sitting uh, near the edge of the house, and he just fires a shot past St. Cyr for a one nothing Michigan lead. I mean... Michigan has missed Hughes at times throughout the year, TJ Hughes, and
1: it's been noticeable when he's been back in the lineup. Yeah, and, I mean, Moyle puts the back pressure on there, and, I mean, that's just a heads-up play, picks the puck right up from uh, Hughes does, and just quick put it on net and fire it in.
0: Michigan's done a good job with Hughes putting him in those sorts of situations where he can be a threat to shoot or score near the net. They don't, he's not asked to do as much at distance, but when he gets the puck on his stick and he's within, you know, 15, 20 feet of the net, he's been very dangerous, especially the closer he gets, right? Like he's kind of taken up residence off to the sides below those like angles of the house and has scored multiple goals. This one was, you know, not from that area, but I, I mean, he's, I think over a point per game now. I think he's got yeah, 9 or close. 10 goals. Yeah. Yep. No, he's been very I mean, good. I mean, I was like we were debating on where he's going to fit in the in the lineup in the preview podcast and now he's like, well, he's probably a top 6 forward <laughs> on the team and when he's out of the lineup, you're like, "Uh, oh, who's who's going to pick up his slack?" So, unfortunately, uh for Michigan, the lead does not last very long as Like, there's a shot from halfway up the boards towards the blue line, and it looks, you know, we were watching it together, and we kind of were like, you know, did somebody get a piece of that or something? But it's just a shot that Portillo reaches to grab. It hits, I think, the inside of his glove or his wrist, bounces off of either his face or his shoulder, and then down into the net for maybe the worst goal surrendered of his career. He just whiffed on it. Yeah. And it was just a a drop. And it was kind of one of those things where, you know, Michigan had played a pretty good first period. They were in they got the early goal. That's always been the thing, is like, all right, they struggle at times when they go up to state. State always plays really plays them tough, even if they don't have like all the talent that Michigan does. And you get the early lead, you're about to get out of the first period, and then you just give up kind of this like goofy backwards goal, and it was like, uh, and without Fantilli, you know, you just, you're not counting on scoring five goals a game anymore, especially with the way St. Cyr played.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's just hard to win a lot of times when that happens. Yep. Especially against competitive opponents, and that's something we'll get into later. So into
0: the second period, uh, this is where we had sort of our big kind of debate, where Portillo gives up another goofy goal. This is one where he actually plays it well to start. He comes out and makes the save, and then kind of tips over onto his stomach, thinks the puck is somewhere in him, below him, something, but it sort of leaks out from between his legs back into, like, the slot into the into the house, but he thinks he still has it, so he's still laying there, everyone continues to play around him. And then the puck gets kind of like flipped as he's starting to get up towards the crease. It hits the post of all things and just sort of sits on the doorstep. And finally Portillo is able to locate it and then kind of ambles over and lunges at it. But by that time, someone's able to poke their stick at it and just kind of pool cue it into the net for a two to one lead. And you know, there's like talk of like, okay, part of when you teach a goalie is you you're if you don't know where the puck is, you lay motionless because it might be under you and you don't want to give it away. Okay. There's that part of it that's fair. The part that I didn't understand and we had talked about this is clearly no one else thought the puck was frozen. <laughs> and then at that point you have to bust your butt to get back in the crease. Because it's not like he's laying in the crease where he's able to block other shots. He's outside the crease because he came out to challenge a shot. And he just doesn't move back in the crease with any sort of speed. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, Necessity, I guess. And, And then the puck just eventually, because, I mean, an open net generally leads to a goal, gets poked in.
1: It's a very odd play. I don't think I've seen many like that. (laughs) Um, At any level? I mean, it's kind of akin in some ways to, like, the famous Patrick Waugh Statue of Liberty play in terms of where the goalie thinks they have it and then they don't, right? Okay. Where uh, Waugh in game six in '02 2 thinks he makes the save, or he makes the save on Iserman, thinks he has it, lifts the hand up, and the puck is actually on the ice, and Shanahan taps it in. Um. Like that's what I would sort of compare this to because it's another situation where the goalie I guess thinks he has it and yeah. just doesn't and it, and it's just very strange and what's odd about it is that it, it just it, reading the cues of the other players would have made it clear that he didn't have it because you know you're right to lay their emotions if you don't know where it is and and especially so if you feel players whacking at you, right? Right. And they're jamming their or, sticks under or you. people to are, get, like,
0: yeah. crowding around you.
1: <laughs> yeah. And there was no one crowding around him. He's just laying there yeah. while the other players are playing. Off to the side of the play. Yeah. It's just very weird looking yeah. play.
0: So, it, so it's 2-1 to one Michigan State at that point. Um, and, and then basically the rest of the game is just not much and a f- handful of Michigan chances that – you know, they kind of want to have Um, Duke ended up just before this ended up having back-to-back point blank chances where he's in behind the defense, gets the puck fed to him, takes a shot on St. Cyr from, you know, a couple of feet out, save. It gets the rebound, save again. Um, Grano gets in, but can't get the puck up and over the pads. And then like right at the end of the second period, St. Cyr makes like, I have a note written down three more should be goal saves, including one on Hughes that, he just can't get it over the pad. And, I mean, Michigan, in these situations, had their chances. They also had a really good power play opportunity. It was their second of the game where LaPointe had a backdoor chance from Duke for a huge save by St. Cyr. And then uh, Hughes missed an open net. Um, McGroarty had another chance where he missed a puck that he was on his offhand and it was from a sharp angle, but the net was open and he and he couldn't hit it. And, you know, it was just one of those nights where, There were opportunities. They weren't, like, wide-open net tap-in goal opportunities, but they're a hockey play that skilled players can make, and you can get a goal, and Michigan ended up mostly going about 0 for 5 or 0 for 6.
1: Yeah, I mean, I thought Michigan's chances to tie the game in the second were really good. They got a lot of great looks. I thought St. Cyr played an excellent game overall, but especially in that second period. And it felt kind of like going into the third that Michigan was in still decent position because they were really controlling play. And then in the third, it's not that they didn't control play, just the volume and the quality of looks really dried up. Right. And the other thing is that Dylan St. Cyr played as well as I've ever seen him play. Yep. He, He played a great game. But I thought Michigan in that third period especially lacked a little bit of urgency, especially late. Yes. And uh, MSU knew how to close the game down, and they just couldn't really muscle themselves to the middle of the ice. They skated around the perimeter a lot. There weren't quality looks being handed to them, and, and they didn't get a lot of atta- uh, chances to attack off the counter, which is kind of where they needed to do a lot of their uh, attacking just because uh, Michigan State was really good when they had their forecheck set up when they were in their own zone. Yep.
0: Um, You know, the funny thing, we talked about Portillo having a couple of goofy goals. Um, He made a couple of really nice back-to-back saves uh, in the third period. And by the end, you know, he had over, I think, 29 or 30 saves and only given up two goals. So it's sort of like how the defense has been in the last few weeks, I should say, or the last few series that Michigan has played, where overall the defense looks pretty good. But the one or two times they don't look good, they look really bad, and you give up a goal. It's like if you complete all your passes, but your incompletions are all pick sixes. Did you have a good game? Well, you completed a lot of really good passes, and then you threw two or three that were just the worst throws possible. Yep. So, you know, Michigan gets close-ish. They had a nice chance on the rush where Brinley hits uh, TJ Hughes, but they can't get... The shot in, and then T.J. Hughes almost had a wonder goal at the end, where he beat a guy in traffic, and he just as he reached out, he gets past Saint Cyr, but the puck rolls off his stick, can't get his stick around it, it rolls just wide. He had about half an open net to put it in to tie the game. It was just that kind of night. Um, And then, like you said, at the end, you know, Michigan kind of has control of the puck in the zone, but they won't shoot it. Yeah, like they had chances where you're like, that's an okay shot, get it on net, maybe you get a rebound. But they wouldn't even shoot it.
1: And you know, and that's kind of the thing that we've seen Michigan struggle with at times over the years. But this is a thing that a lot of teams like Michigan do struggle with, is that when you have a team that's trying to shut a game down and they're really disciplined in the zone, you're not going to get a grade-A look. And when you're running a system that's emphasizing shot quality and you know waiting for the right look, and then the other team is doing something to ensure you don't get the right look, you have to have another gear. And a lot of times the other gear is shoot and retrieve. Just start putting pucks on that and being willing to, you know, burrow your way inside and try to play off rebounds. And because if a team's really disciplined in their own zone defensively, what breaks them down is a scramble, right? A yeah. shot, you know, the or re- one-on-one you know, move or, yeah, unpredictability when you take shots and then they get knocked down and then there's a, a you know, loose puck and that kind of thing. And that's where you'd miss Fantilli because yep, he's... he would be a guy that would help in that situation. And he's
0: big and burly and yep. is, is going to be able to move some people and has great one-on-one skills. And, you know, they just did not have that. They got open looks. They didn't finish them. And, you know, that's just the way that it goes. You give up a couple of goofy ones at the other end and, you know, you lose the state, two to State 2-1. to So yep. Saturday night back at Yost, they played game two. Um, it started pretty well for Michigan again. Uh, Rutger had a really nice, uh, it's not really a stretch pass, um, it's kind of a blue line to red line straight ahead pass where he sprung T.J. Hughes and got a really good chance, St. Cyr, St. Cyr, oh, somebody, I forget who now, called him St. Civ, and it was kind of funny, but that was not true of the weekend. Anyway, St. Cyr made the save. Um, Michigan also then had a couple really good chances after that. I wrote down 2-3. to Moyle was on the doorstep, just couldn't find the handle. So Michigan kind of had their jump from the beginning, which is what they needed. They also got a power play early because Christian Krieger um, came down the left side, which was right in front of where we were sitting in the press box, turned in and just like Khalil Mullings threw Eric Portillo and knocked him in the next week. And you're just like... Okay, I mean, like, I don't know what it's, I mean, I don't know if you remember Dexter Danks, but he had a few goalie interference penalties early in his career where he's going hard to the net and just, like, basically not stopping, and he just trucks a guy. That's always fun. It's, it definitely gets things riled up because people did not take that very well, and there was a lot of, uh, not fisticuffs, but grab and pull and probably name-calling um, that happened after that. Um, I, my notes for this power play were this was about as good as Michigan could have without scoring. They had plenty of chances. They moved it really well, had good looks from all over the ice, offensive zone time, all the things that you're checking boxes. The, bu- the puck just didn't go in the net, and you know, St. Cyr played really well. So you're thinking, okay, well, here we go, another bright start, and, and they can't really get on the board. Um, but then on their second power play a couple minutes later for a too-many-men call, which uh, I may or may not have tweeted, can't read, can't count. It's a throwback to a chant that we did years ago. Not funny? I thought it was funny. Okay, there will be some people in the listeners who are old like me who are like, I remember yelling that at Yost. Um, But Luke Hughes takes a shot from uh, the point or the dot-ish area. It hits Dylan Duke in, like, the shoulder arm, and he... I deflects it into the net behind St. here, And that's kind of what it was going to take, I think, because Michigan had a pretty good period, looked like dangerous to score, couldn't get one, needed a bounce, um, and they got one.
1: Yep, just a nice deflection off a guy in front. And the one thing to note about this is Michigan came into that game with, it was a long streak of not scoring on the power play. Really? They were like 0 for 18 or something. we <laughs> were putting that on TV, and then that one finally... Huh? Finally snapped it. Um, I guess they
0: did. Oh, because they got what a shorthanded goal in in Wisconsin. Yes, and then maybe not against Harvard,
1: but okay. It was just it. Yeah, it was a it, good shot, nice bounce off and in.
0: Uh, into the second period. Um, I you know so this was another thing that like um again the defense played really well I, I one of my notes was that they just there was just an awesome shift from Casey and Luke Hughes they played them together a little bit um, there were just a number of times where the puck comes out to the to the blue line they're able to keep it in make a move and get either pass it to another guy to recycle or they bring the puck down themselves to create an opportunity it happened multiple times on a shift really good to see I mean Hughes has generally been pretty good at that all year in his career. Um, he's also had a number of fumbles in those situations yeah. that have led to go- things going the other way. I think this weekend was as good as I've seen Luke Hughes play defensively, maybe at Michigan.
1: He's He's been playing much better in the last few weeks.
0: I know we rag on him an, a number of times for his defensive play and maybe like wanting a little more out of him because of where he was drafted, what he looked like at the end of last year, all those things. But, I was just impressed the last couple weeks with him and, and on the defensive end because you know we obviously know what he can do starting offense on on the, or on the offensive end getting the pucks out getting pucks in moving the puck um and he shoots enough but to just make the simple plays in the offensive or in the defensive end I, I just think that he's been as good as he has been yeah Uh, So there's a couple power plays uh, for Michigan. They don't get as much on these. Um, and then we get the... Because on what on Friday, there's the alternating two-on-ones. And here we get the alternating breakaways. As Right after the power play, I think it was Dan Russell gets behind the Michigan defense. A stretch pass leads him in for one, for a one-on-one. And Portillo makes a blocker save. And then answering that while you're, I'm like taking that note, Rutger McCrardy gets in alone, beats St. Cyr and draws iron. And you're like, Oh, that was it. Like that was the game. If that goes in, you're kind of like two, nothing, the way Michigan's been playing in this game, they haven't really seeded a lot of chances. I mean, that's the other thing that we can even talk about a little bit is, I mean, how many a to A plus chances did Michigan state have all weekend?
1: Very, very few.
0: They had the two on one. They had a breakaway that we just sort of talked about. But in zone, most of their shots came from some distance or with people in front. Yep. So, uh, you know, a, a plus for Michigan in that in, in that area. Um, and then right before the end of the second period, Keaton Pearson makes probably the pass of his life uh, with a dime backdoor diagonal to TJ Hughes, who is sitting on the doorstep, knocks it in back post. It's 2 nothing exiting the second period and at that point like the game isn't over over but it started to feel very much over
1: yeah that's, that's the best way i would <laughs>
0: i mean because anything can happen in hockey and we've seen dumb things happen but the way the game is going um and the other thing is you know eric portillo played really well
1: yeah he had a, a strong bounce back performance on which Saturday is in particular
0: you know, sort of what he needed, because the truth is, is like again, most of those plays that he makes on Friday are good and fine. Um, he gets lost a couple of times. He had the one like spinorama that he's facing the wrong way; the puck didn't go in. But, um, but he may—I mean, his save percentage is high, and and then
1: he just has a couple of goofball plays. Yeah, I mean that's a, that one was a game where. He allows two goals, but the expected goals was probably like .9 or something, yeah. so it still was not an, an, a great night yeah. overall. But that's it's just true. It was just such a good defensive weekend for Michigan that, uh, you know, a, a still okay night on Friday actually wasn't as good in, in comparison, but he, he had a much better game on Saturday and then was able to almost get the shutout, but not quite. So but the still third, gets the win and that's the, the important part. The third period to me was
0: kind of interesting because again like Michigan never really felt super threatened. Like it wasn't they, they played a game a few years ago against Notre Dame when they were up 2 to 1 and just stepped on Notre Dame's neck in the third. And Notre Dame barely had the puck. They couldn't really get even into the offensive zone. Michigan just kept it and said, "We're the better team. You're not going to touch the puck even though it's a one-goal game." We're just going to keep it, and we're going to attack. That wasn't really this period. State probably had more, well, definitely had more chances. um, But Michigan was like, okay, you can continue to take your long twos. You're not really going to hit them. We're not letting you near the rim. We're not giving you an open look. If you can, like, feed one through three guys, so be it. And State could not do that. Um, Michigan, like I said, didn't really have the puck the whole time, but they felt in control of that third period.
1: Yeah, that's how, I mean, that's how you defend in situations with the lead. They're going to get shots, but it's about minimizing shot quality.
0: And they it was one and done, right? Like they, they, they took away rebounds, and then they made smart passes in the zone, either D to D behind the net or from D to the sideboards or wherever, to get the puck away from pressure and into space, and then hit another pass or two, whatever it took, to get out of the zone. And, like, that's the kind of stuff that Michigan had struggled with sort of all year at times. Um, And they looked like they just felt very comfortable
1: on the puck in their own zone with a lead in the third period,
0: which is a good thing.
1: Yeah, uh, especially, you know, a team that had trouble defending leads earlier in the season. It was... A, a pleasant sign for potentially the second
0: half. Yeah, uh, they get a power play late, which kills two of the remaining four plus minutes. Um, Michigan State pulls St. Cyr with about two minutes to go. And Michigan State, or Michigan looked fine. Like, they held their shape really well again. You know, you're, you're against the extra skater, but they blocked shots. They didn't seed anything opening. And then, um, you know, there's a bit of a scrum. I think that, like, Estapa gets a penalty that was a little iffy on the play. Um, but it ends up leading to a Michigan State power play and Jagger Joshua like baseballs a, a goal with like five minutes to go. It's like Portillo makes a save, the puck bounces like four feet in the air and he just like whacks it out of the air to the net with like four seconds. And you're like Well that sucks. Well but. it was
1: also a very Strange no goal situation. Oh Uh, yeah, we
0: yeah on the power play. We could talk about that. I
1: mean, it's. uh, I don't really know what there is to say other than I mean, I don't really know how that shoots the puck in the net interference dylan duke is standing but also again i don't know the ins the specifics of the ncaa rules but i just did not see anything there so
0: peter was very adamant that that was goal interference we were sitting in the press box and he was like no i mean his skates are in the crease and he's you know against the goalie or whatever and then i talked to people later on and they were like um that's definitely not goalie interference that was a bs call and I'm not really sure. You know, we both watch a number of NHL games and we watch a number of college games and it's sort of like college football or the NFL. We're like, well, is this the rule? Do you have to get one feet down or two? And what's possession and all that stuff. I don't know what the difference is if they change a rule in the professional ranks and it trickles down to college or not. It didn't seem like he hit the goalie on replay, but his skates might have been in the crease.
1: Uh, I, again... uh... I don't know the exact NCA rule here, and I've gotten to the point that I have a very good sense of what is goal interference <laughs> and what is not in the NHL. Like okay. I, I think that in the NHL, when I watch a game and I see something, most all of the time, I get I get it right Okay. Because of what they're going to do. Yeah, but I don't know what college uh, the the language in the rule book is specifically because like the NHL has changed over time. Like in the dead puck right. era, of course, in the nineties. There was the skate in the crease rule. Right, it's with Brad the, Hall. The famous Brad Hall play. Yeah. Like, that is a completely uh, <laughs> legal goal today. Like, right. They That's, have completely eliminated that. they scrapped that. that yeah. yeah, which was very which, stupid in the first place. What, but we for, don't. for it to be the rule? Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, th- it makes much more sense yeah. now.
1: And so, like, in the NHL, it's generally, like, you can be in the crease, as long, you know, slightly as long as you're not. Like, it, it's a lot more about just, like, do you impede the movement of the goalie? Right. And if you impede the movement of the goalie in the crease, then it's just... Automatic. Doesn't matter what it is. It's just done. What, if you impede the movement of the goalie outside the crease, then it gets a little more iffy. Yeah, And then you have the question of, was a guy pushed in? That's what it tends to be. This, this one, to me, from an NHL standpoint, seemed very clear-cut, no-goaltender yeah, interference. Yeah, I agree. But NCAA, I don't know the specifics yeah. of the rule.
0: Yeah, and then you're also expecting Big Ten referees to interpret it correctly, and that is something that we both have sort of sailed that ship a while ago. So, anyway... um, so Luke Hughes could have put the game completely out of reach at that point. Probably should have gotten credit for it. Didn't get credit for it. I didn't think Michigan state was scoring two goals anyway. They did get one with four seconds left and then the game ended. And then there was basically like a five on five brawl where everyone grabbed a friend and we all rolled around on the ice and told you, all right, we'll miss you guys and see you for a home at home in February, I think is when it is. So Michigan gets the split. Um, (laughs) You know, they probably played well enough to get a sweep, honestly. And if they get a little bit better goaltending or hit a few open nets on Friday, they probably do get the sweep. Um, But that's just sort of been this team is they're right on the cusp, but they don't always stay consistent enough to get the job done on a weekend basis.
1: Yeah, they played a good effort in the two games and... Uh, you know just didn't quite get the goaltending performance they needed on on Friday but it was a it was a fine weekend overall for, yes from a playing perspective
0: all right let's take a break we'll come back and we will talk about uh, other games that are somewhat relevant to Michigan and then we will maybe take some stabs at stuff about uh, the end of the first half of the season for for Michigan <laughs>
1: I can't believe I'm doing this. If you find yourself in the penalty box, you want a Michigan man arguing your case,
0: call criminal law attorney and former prosecutor Jonathan Paul tonight. It's 248-924-9458. Or visit his old website at michiganlawgrad.com. All right. Well, this is the segment that we generally look at other games that are not Michigan and debate what happened and if they are relevant and if there's any sort of reason for Michigan to have vested interest. Um, so we'll start with our old friends, which is where we usually look. A couple didn't play. Uh, we always like to look in on Lindenwood and they didn't play, which is always a bit of a bummer. So I've taken them off. Um Harvard also did not play. Harvard too many times doesn't play. They just don't play. They just don't play many games. Like, they don't really start till.
1: Lindenwood's actually playing right now, or about to play right now. They are? Did I miss that? Against Denver.
0: Oh. Uh, Okay. Well, they probably haven't started yet because it's 530.
1: There's actually some very interesting matchups this week. So should we... Hang out after this podcast and watch college hockey. Michigan Tech, Lake Superior. That's the UP battle. Uh, Yeah. And Alaska, Alaska Anchorage. Oh,
0: that's right. Um, That one
1: probably doesn't start for like four hours. Do you know what Alaska Anchorage and Lake Superior State have in common? They're the two
0: most northern programs. No, that's probably not it. They both have two wins. <laughs> Well, someone may might have 3. They should tie. They'll probably tie just cuz we talked about it. All right. Uh, let's get Lake State out of the, Lake State, Lake State out of the way. They beat Bemidji 3 to 2, which I think was their second or yeah, this, third their, win. That's their second win, yes. <laughs> and then they lost to Bemidji 4 to 1. Uh my notes say Lake State has two wins. They are bad. Do you have anything to elaborate?
1: Nope. Bemidji, I will throw this out there since you mentioned them. They just upset Minnesota State. Is they're having, like, a not-bad season.
0: Minnesota State isn't what they were last year. No. They... They're
1: 10-8-1. So they're still all right
0: Yep, to good. I don't know if that translates into a tournament berth.
1: <sighs> Let me look but... at
0: the... Because usually Minnesota State, like, walks that conference. And they
1: are outside the tournament picture. Yeah, the well, there you go. <laughs> but there's an auto bid, obviously.
0: Sure. In the CCHA. But they might not be winning the CCHA. Tech is I think the highest CCG really? team in Peroni. So they probably will beat Lake State in this big battle that you keep talking about. Likely. All right, so BU played in a weird game with BC. Um, they lost 9 to 6. Wasn't there a Sabres game that was like 9 to 8 or something? No, there was that was the Kings cracking. Okay, Kings cracking. The yeah. Sabres played in a weird game. The too. Sabres
1: are leading the NHL in goals scored by the way. Yeah,
0: they score a lot of goals. They
1: score a lot of goals. Very fun games.
0: Um Okay, so 9-6. to six. Uh, This did not seem like a very good loss for BU, but I guess it's a rivalry game, so you know you get that whole Michigan-Michigan State vibe probably happening. Um, I think BU also lost a player to Canada. Uh, they might Do they have, have a defenseman? They might have. I think they have a defenseman who's pretty good. Um, and then BU, then, after their game against BC, played UConn and won 3-2, to two where Ty Amante scored. For UConn, and we think that is Tony Montes' kid because apparently, if you are a decent school in the Northeast, you have some sort of legacy player of someone that I watched when I was growing up.
1: It looks like it is his son. I'm waiting for elite prospects to load to give me confirmation on well,
0: that. Well, BU is now 11 and five on the year. Connecticut is 11 five and three. So I guess UConn
1: they- is very good. They are very high in. The Parawise once that becomes a thing
0: that is a weird thing. Have they? They've never really been very good. They they had an okay year last year, right? Where they their program's s- not very old, right? Like they're not. Well, they played Michigan uh, when I was a senior, so it'd been oh six oh seven. They came here and Michigan beat them in some like bonkers seven to five or seven to three game or something like that, six to three game or something like that. Um, so yeah, I mean it's not like the oldest program, but it's also not like it. It's not like Lindenwood.
1: Uh, let's see. Or Arizona State. Oh, yeah, State. no, they are, there are, well, when did they move up to? They were D3, when did they move up? So, they became D1 in 1999. Yeah, so they're when, like, when
0: their football team
1: did. They're like QPAC age. Yeah.
0: So, uh, I guess that's an okay split, because you get a win on the road for BU, you get a win... On the road at UConn, you lose in Chestnut Hill against Boston College. Probably not good to give up nine goals, though, to a team that's not having the best season.
1: Tiamonte actually played at BU, and then he transferred to UConn.
0: So it was a revenge goal.
1: He has played—this is his—his <laughs> his first season of college hockey was 2017-2018. Wow. This is his sixth season.
0: That was the Quinn Hughes freshman year. Yeah. Okay, so was he, a, Was he like, 18? I assume he probably was. He was 19. Okay, He's so, older he was, than me, so he was. So he will be turning
1: 25 soon.
0: <laughs> that's a lot of college hockey, man. All right, so that's BU. We w- went over Lake State. Western Michigan tied Nodak 2-2, and then they were shut out by Nodak 3-0. Um, Nodak's probably just better. I looked at both games' stats. and Nodak's not
1: very good. They're not very good. No,
0: they're seven, eight, and four. Well, they looked good in these games.
1: Drew De Ritter, transfer decision not looking too hot. Uh considering his old program may make the tournament and his new one maybe he very was, much may not.
0: Maybe uh you think Notre Dame won't make the tournament? Uh,
1: I don't think they're in the tournament picture right now.
0: Well, okay, but they never are. I mean that's Nodak's thing. It's like then they they're just twenty fourth at the moment. Yeah, so they're fine.
1: They can play their way in. Yeah. But I'd rather be on the team that's 10th in pairwise than 24th. W- in-
0: Maybe. I mean, we'll see. We'll, we'll see, but yeah. I'm not feeling
1: too hot That's about an that interesting Nodak team.
0: This is something that we should follow throughout the year is where does Michigan State go from 10th and where does Nodak go? Because Nodak has a lot of times been sort of a 500 team through the first half, and then they catch fire and you're like, oh, wait, this is like a one or a two seed.
1: I'm just saying but, I'm not feeling them this year.
0: All right. So that's it for the non-conference portion of the schedule. We can talk about the Big Ten. There are a couple series in the Big Ten. Uh, neither one of them are overly interesting. Penn State and Notre Dame played, and Penn State beat Notre Dame 5-2. to two. Uh, They scored three times in the last eight minutes with a couple empty-neck goals. Um, so... Like, that was a relatively even game. I think this was in South Bend, but then Penn State, as they have done against a number of other teams this year, has made a push at the end of the game to get a win or to steal some points. Um, Notre Dame responded on Saturday with a 5-2 to two win, so both, both teams win 5-2. to two. Uh, It was 2-1 to one, Notre Dame until halfway through the third. Each team kind of added a couple more goals. Penn State outshot Notre Dame 50-22. to 22. There's a surprise. And Soulier gave up four goals on seventeen shots for Penn State, which is uh, not very good. But in the end, you get a split, just like the Michigan-Michigan State series. And it's starting to sort of feel like that. That shot like,
1: attempts in that game are wild.
0: Yeah, they're At way even
1: strength, ninety-two to thirty-five. Yeah, and that was that's actually not even just like Penn State, you know, doing Penn State things. That, that is <laughs> that's indicative of something going on in that game.
0: Right. Um, Well, I mean, Notre Dame kind of had the lead and I assume they just kind of gave Penn State a lot of shots. And if you cross the blue line and don't shoot immediately at Penn State, they shoot you. So that's just kind of how that goes. Um, But what I was saying about is like you get these games between these mid-level Big Ten teams, which is basically anyone that isn't Wisconsin, Minnesota, and it just feels like there are a lot of splits. And there's not a big difference between the middle five teams speaking of Wisconsin and Minnesota uh it, this was not pretty 7 to 1 Minnesota on Friday 4 to 1 after the first period so that game was over fast um in game 2 <laughs> Wisconsin goes up 2 nothing in and they're up 2 nothing in the second period and Minnesota gets 6 goals in 6 minutes yikes
1: yeah Wisconsin gets to the two-and-a-half minutes remaining mark in the first period, up 2 nothing, and they end the period trailing. Oh, I thought that was in the second. I guess it was late first, so they're up 2 nothing. Okay. Wow, yeah, the, the oh, they gave goal- up
0: three goals in two minutes?
1: Two-and-a-half minutes. Okay. They give up a goal at 1737, 1807, and 1959. <laughs> so they give it up with one. Yeah, they second. give up a buzzer beater. Jeez. They give up. It's hard to do. And happen. then they give up in the second period, 44 seconds, 304, and 330. So <laughs> well, then the game's over. Well, and penalties are a part of this, should be noted. Okay. So Charlie Strammel gets a five-in-a-game in, a game in oh. conjunction with a two-minute Brock Faber roughing. So the first goal comes from Pitlick on the four-on-four. Then the Faber penalty expires, and Minnesota scores three times on the remaining three minutes off the five-minute major.
0: Oh, like what Michigan did to BU earlier this year. Yes,
1: except they were all five-on-four goals, not five-on-three goals. Huh. Not great.
0: Yeah. uh, But that's kind of what we come to expect from both of these teams as our I mean, we can kind of transition now into our first half takes or whatever. But the next thing I've written down in my notes is basically like the standings and it's Minnesota. And then I wrote Gap and then MSU, PSU, ND, OSU and Michigan and then Gap and then Wisconsin.
1: Yeah, Wisconsin, I think, is the team that actually gives us a really good sense of the Big Ten because Wisconsin's current record is 7-11. and 11, But they are 1-9 and nine in the Big Ten, and they what are— What was that win, Alex? They are 6-2 and two in the non-conference. And yeah. if you look at the Big Ten teams, all of them have a winning record in the non-conference. And a lot of them banked pretty impressive wins that give them comparisons against the top conferences. And that ri- ri- uh, rises everyone's boat. Raises? Raises, sure. Uh, <laughs> Raises is good. Yeah. Uh, but no, that helps everybody that this conference just tore everybody apart in the non-con.
0: Well, it's like what the NCHC generally does.
1: Yep. Year in and year out. Yep.
0: Yeah. No, I think the Big Ten is good.
1: And so we enter the new year in which six out of seven teams have a chance for the tournament. Yeah. Five will likely be in it when pairwise begins to matter. And then the sixth will only be a little bit out. So. so
0: the interesting thing there is, like, we've seen everybody now aside from Ohio State. And, I mean, I thought that Michigan was probably, especially if you add Fantilli, a better team than Michigan State,
1: I think, watching nope. them play. I Well, it depends on goalie factorization. Yeah. But. If watching that series and I think what we know now about MSU is that teams with a commitment to defense and a strong defensive core are going to choke them out. They yeah. scored three total goals against Michigan and three total goals against Minnesota. And all so three of six those goals in four games against those two. The teams. three goals against Michigan were all like weird goals too. Yeah. So they, they,
0: and that was the thing we said coming in was like, they don't really have any goal scores. They don't
1: have a lot of, of, you know, big-time guys. They have ensemble guys that can pitch in against bad teams, and they got a really good goalie who's playing extremely well,
0: And they playing and the they... best
1: hockey of his career, and that combination. And also, they don't seem to just mess around very much. No. Right? Like, they don't seem to drop games that they have no business dropping. No. They win the games they're supposed to win. They lose the games they're supposed to lose. They
0: were the first half of Harbaugh's career.
1: And they're getting a lot of coin flips. And that's the... Uh, kind of combination of factors you need to make the tournament. And that's why right now they're on pace to do so. We'll see what happens in the second half. I think they are a team that could regress if St. Cyr uh, falls back a little bit. I think there are some questions there. But um, right now they are a best-case scenario team for the course of their season. And right now their coach has to be the odds-on favorite for Coach of the Year. Yes. I don't think there's any question about that. So.
0: They, cause they look like a coherent team I mean, we watched them all weekend and they didn't look like a team that was going to score a bunch of goals or that was going to do anything overly exciting, but they also didn't look like a team that was just going to start hemorrhaging goals either. No. And which is what they were last year.
1: They're, they're a solid team.
0: So, um, all right. So Penn state, you know, we only saw them, those couple games against Michigan, um, one game, Michigan just did not show up at all. Got a very good goaltending performance out of Noah West, the second game you know michigan was the better team for like 55 minutes 58 2 minutes or something um they seem close i i think that you know when they come to yoast it's you'd expect a sweep at minimum or i am mean, sorry a sweep yeah because you can do more than that a split at minimum to i would not be shocked if michigan assuming they're healthy and all you know you don't get goofy stuff can get more than three points.
1: I mean, Penn State is – they're five and 5-5 five against the Big Ten, non-Wisconsin. So they're basically getting splits. They are getting splits against everybody. That is not – they didn't – didn't. they haven't been swept by anybody. And right. they haven't – the only team they swept was Wisconsin. So they're just splitting every weekend. And then in the non-conference, they ain't play nobody. So they bank just a bunch bank of wins. And that it. helps the Big Ten. Also helps them. Their pair-wise looks mighty good. Yeah. Uh, even though I think that's quite a bit better than they are as a team. But Penn State, to me, I put this in the piece I wrote this past week, is that Penn State, to me, is the most – Michigan State's team has taken a lot of things going right for me compared to my preseason expectations, where they needed the goal scorers to chip in, consistency, coaching to come in at a sort of above-average expectation – and goaltending to come through. They yeah. needed all these things to go right to be in this point, and they have. Yeah. Penn State, to me, this team is literally just, if you had told me preseason Liam Sillier will be like a 920 goalie, I'd be like, oh, this is probably what they're going to be. And that's what they are. Yeah. They're the same. It's just kind of the same team as last year. Their goal scoring has ticked up a little bit, but it's mostly the same. And it's just they're getting saves this time. Sometimes, and, yes. Yep.
0: Yeah. I. But they don't look like a team that – it's going to, like, you're nervous them coming into you. No, I don't, I mean. Yeah. Notre Dame, Um, I, I don't, you know, they're kind of in that same boat. They're probably worse than the tough Notre Dame teams of the past. They don't always play that schedule. Their goaltending has been up and down.
1: I would probably rate them below Penn State pretty clearly. Yeah. And maybe below MSU, although they got the better of MSU when they played, so yeah. maybe not. Uh, Notre Dame has a lot more wins where they're just kind of gritting their teeth and holding on tight. And their losses are ugly. Yeah. Whereas Penn State, I think, looks, and even MSU generally looks more competitive in their losses. Like, Notre Dame gets skunked, like, often this year. And they're winning games where they're getting massively outshot. And they're just trying to MSU, you know, from the yeah. old days, it. Where, you know, they're just standing in front of them. I mean, this just does not look like a vintage Jackson team. And I, I'm not scared of them at all.
0: No. Ohio State's the only team we haven't seen yet, so it's hard to... Add in the eye test. I mean, they had a couple of nice wins. I think they beat Minnesota once. They've beaten Penn State. They kind of get some splits, but they've they're, also they're had five some, and
1: five in the Big Ten.
0: They've had some stinker losses too.
1: They don't look that impressive to me outside of the context that all the Big Ten teams are impressive <laughs> yeah. compared to the rest of the, you know, the college hockey. Right. So I don't know. They look like Ohio State from last year, but subtract twenty points of save percentage. And give them a healthy Mason, Lowry, and, and Halliday. So, who's come in and been a really solid piece for them? So
0: maybe their offense is a little bit better, their defense is all right, and then their goaltending is not as good. Not it as seems good, yeah. more or less like a wash.
1: Yeah, they're a very similar caliber team.
0: And then you have Michigan, who has just had the weirdest year. I mean,. They're just in this group. We'll touch on the other teams before we get into the specifics of Michigan. But, you know, the overall from Michigan is like, look, they had a strong start. And then they get the weird sickness thing when they go to Penn State. Portillo's out. I can't imagine that other people weren't impacted to some extent by that, just given what happened within the next couple weeks. They have the Minnesota series, which, you know, arguably in some senses shouldn't have even been played. You know, so... And they get a couple weird officiated games, and it's there, and then they're just inconsistent, right? And it's sort of like whack a mole, where they fix one thing, and then the goaltending goes down. They and then they then they have good goaltending performances, and the defense can't do anything. And then, you know, they get both of those, and they can't score a goal. And Fantilli misses because of you know Team Canada. And it's always these little things that this looks like a team that looks really young. They are on the verge, but never over the edge. And it looks like if they can get a little bit of luck in terms of keeping everything together, I mean, they could have a nice second half run.
1: Yeah. I, so I think, first of all, the the first half, you know, the, or the the good start, so to speak, in October is also a function of, again, what we know about the Big Ten. And that, you know, part, they they're getting bad luck in November too. But also I think that their tougher opponents have been outside of October just because mm. – This is a good Big Ten. What do we know about this conference? And, you know, compared to what my expectations were, um, they're below expectations at the moment. But I think there are, again, factors that are causing that to be the case that we didn't know at the time. We didn't know preseason that the uh, Minnesota series was (laughs) going to be scrapped. Going to be a mockery of a series. Yeah. We did not know that. Frank Nazar would not play yeah. at all I mean, he in was, the first half. We
0: had him as the 2C.
1: Yep, probably would be the second or third best player on the team. So yep. uh, we didn't know that. So those two things are already some factors that are not controllable by the team. I also did not know that the Big Ten was going to be this good. <laughs> and that has come in above my expectations. Yeah, And the crucial thing is, because the Big Ten is better than we expected, that makes Michigan's ability to stomach the adversity that we didn't see coming harder. Because last season there was adversity. Remember the Olympics, just yep. came out of nowhere. Yep. But last year they could go to the Olympics and still just destroy MSU. Right. Right? I mean Well, they got
0: they got Michigan State. I mean Jack they Lee got could Ohio have played a goal to
1: beat that team last year. I mean hey, they, he, he did play. They did. There were some teams in the Big Ten, one in particular, but several others that were just really bad yep. and there were many more weeks last season when we went into the weekend saying you have to get six points or it's a failure well this it, year there's one team we're saying that about yeah and last year we said it about penn state we said about msc we said about wisconsin and you know even by the end of the year i was feeling good playing ohio state like pretty you know yeah. when they were in free fall at the end i mean last year was not a very good big 10 and this is the this deepest is. the big 10 has been since i've been covering the team 2018 probably Right, I think this is probably a better Big Ten than twenty. I mean,
0: they put three teams in the Frozen Four that year.
1: Uh, yeah, it was, it was better at the top that year, okay, perhaps than this year. But top this is the, definitely the deepest it's been, okay. Unless you want to count like twenty twenty when it was pretty deep in the sense that none of the teams were very good, but they were all <laughs> the same level as <laughs> each other, right? Like Everybody's they were all bubble okay. teams. Yeah. So this is just a highly competitive league, and the nature of being a highly competitive league is that you have no easy weekends. You have less margin for error when guys go down. Yep. And that's kind of what's happened uh, to the team. And then crucially, the last point too, is that they are getting 20 to 30 points lower save percentage than we expected. So, And they had to play a series in big 10 play without the goalie. Then they had another game in the non-conference that they did not play the goalie because of what was going on right. with the goalie. So that's another factor so, we didn't really see coming.
0: We'll talk about that in just a second. Um, so we had those five teams we covered. Those are kind of like the mid-tier of the Big Ten. Wisconsin, we've talked about a little bit. They're just they're not very good. Um, yep. They have some players, but they're probably going to finish last in the Big Ten unless somebody just free falls.
1: And the truth and the, about Wisconsin, too, is even just that. That uh, Wisconsin, the saddest team in the league, has several first-round picks on the roster right. and is sending players to the World Juniors. That's the Big Ten. This Plural year. players, I think, right? I'm not sure or if Lou is, is there, but... Oh, it's just... Uh, I know that... Uh, that Strammel's there, I think. Strammel is there, yeah. yeah.
0: And then there's Minnesota at the top, so you have Wisconsin at the bottom, Minnesota at the top, and they look like the class of the league. They've struggled mostly against no one. I mean, the Michigan comparison is not really fair because I thought, given what Michigan did not have, they played them tough enough in that series Uh, obviously wasn't really close enough to win but you know they didn't roll over they fought back in the second game yep they hung in it they had a I mean you know if it wasn't for that Luke Hughes sort of like gaff in the middle of that first game they have a shot to maybe eke out an overtime chance but Minnesota was clearly a better team in that series they probably are when everyone's at full strength. It will, it'd will. be nice to see the teams play and match up. We will get to see that in the mid-January, mid to late January, when they go to Minneapolis, where Michigan's had more success than they've had in the past, or the longer past. Um, but, you know, you look at what Minnesota's done, especially in league, and, you know, they, they've been the best team.
1: Yep, and Minnesota is a really good team. They're going to be... You know, a team that if they don't make the Frozen Four, it's going to be it's a disappointing, disappointing. season. Yeah. So uh, they're really good, but I I think that still with Michigan, depending on how the season goes, there's absolutely a chance where Michigan can be a better team than Minnesota. That wow! By okay. the end of the year, uh, that you know this team can get going, that the pieces can fall into place, and
0: so let's talk a little bit about that. So you
1: look at the floor. here's here's the easiest way it happens. Okay. Eric Portillo is Eric Portillo from last year. Well, that if would... he's second half Eric Portillo, yeah, absolutely. Michigan can be a better team because I I'll take Eric Portillo at his best over Justin Close every day. Well, yeah. of the and week that's... and twice on Sunday. I mean, that's so that's
0: that's the 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 Achilles heel for Minnesota is that Close's ceiling is probably not very high. He's good enough that with when you put everything around him, they can win games. They did last year. They made the Frozen Four. But is he a guy that is going to steal games no. in, in the tournament against good teams? Probably not. Probably not. And Portillo has that ceiling. Yep. He has been inconsistent this year, but he's also stolen games last year. So you know that he has it in him. So we can start there. I wanted to go through each section of the team. You want to do some takes. We did some takes. Let's talk about... So we start goaltending, and it was just clearly a below-average half from Portillo. Um, is you know There are factors in on that. We'll get to the defense and stuff, but you know, he kind of ended this, the season with some goofiness or the first half of the season with some goofiness that, um, you just needs to clean up because he's better than that.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is the worst I've seen Portillo in terms of his puck tracking. That's the big thing right now yeah. is that the, the, the rebound issue has gotten worse and worse and it's related to puck tracking, particularly he's just not seeing the puck very well. He's not picking it up quickly and then the rebounds are just flying off of him. It's and, almost
0: like uh, and
1: there are shots that are weak wristers with no screen, and he's not catching them, and they're bouncing well, yeah. off the glove yeah, I mean, even if they're
0: not going in the net, they're just like he it's like trying to play baseball and not having a glove on
1: yeah it's it's very he just doesn't look confident right now, and I think what uh he needed was this break, you know and i would I would have told him you know.
0: You know what comes to mind is the the Ricky Vaughn thing in Major League, where someone gives him glasses and all of a sudden he can see the strike zone again. I wonder if he needs glasses.
1: I would, what I would do for Portillo is I would give him plane tickets to uh, <laughs> plural. Is he that big <laughs> to Hawaii? Okay. Uh, or another he, he could go with Craig or another tropical destination. And I would say just don't think about hockey for ten days. Yeah, and then come back, be refreshed, mentally reset. And then just kind of refocus, because that's the big thing, is just... I Do so you me, think it's mental? Yeah. Okay. To me, it's kind of like when, you know, the reliever has given up many runs in several consecutive games, and then he gets on the DL with, or now IL, with a 10-day neck strain. <laughs> and, <laughs> I sneezed, like yeah, and then <laughs> Yeah, and then he comes back a little while later, right? Like, sometimes that happens, where it's the guy isn't really injured, it's just... He he's needs mentally in. He just needs to be reset. Yeah. He's and, mentally and injured. That, that Get happen. back to square square zero and go from there. Because even that game on Saturday, which was a bounce back performance for Pertillo, and he only gave up one goal at the very end, there were still, I mean, just plenty of, of big rebounds. The, just, first and, half, yeah. the first half, yeah. The first half of that
0: game, there were rebounds. Yeah, and just kick-outs. shots
1: where he's just where he just doesn't look confident in himself.
0: Yeah. Um we can move on to the defense. Uh, you know, this was the thing too that we thought might be sort of the bedrock of the team, at least until they could find their footing. Um, it's coming around for sure, but you know, there's still been a number of times, especially in the first half of the first half of the year, so the first quarter of the year, so maybe the first, you know, five to six, seven weeks, um, where you know, you just guys get lost, right? And there's bad turnovers, um. You know, it's interesting that they've gotten younger, right? Like, they're playing Druskinis and they're playing Luca Fantilli on the third pair. And you can still see some freshman plays and some, you know, nerves or whatever. But it looks like they might be getting a little bit better. And you think that maybe the ceiling is a little bit higher than it was for maybe when they had guys like Holtz. Cause remember Holtz was playing a little bit at the beginning and before he had his, his bout. And then they had, and, and Keaton Pearson was a guy that you think, okay, he can come in and sort of be a babysitter for somebody. He hasn't played as much. They've played Karen in a little bit. They've rotated him in, but you know, it's mostly been the kids.
1: Yeah. I think that, I mean, Hughes, Triscott, Casey, they all need to be in the lineup. Edwards. Edwards, probably. I think. the top. Those are the top four guys. I think that Driskinis needs to be in the lineup. I'm not sure about Luca Fantilli if he needs to be in. I still like Keaton Pearson, and I think he should be in more than he is.
0: Well, so would you just have them skate seven defensemen? Yeah. And then play your twelve forwards, and then so you wouldn't you wouldn't ice, um, in?
1: I'm just not a big Karynen fan personally. But okay.
0: I mean it's fine. I mean <laughs> the way that injuries and people are missing, I think he's going to be think playing there's forward still anyway. Still
1: some room for tinkering with the pairs and trying to figure out what your best six guys are. Okay. And and how those guys pair together. I think that'll be one of the jobs for the second uh, half of the season, particularly in the first month or two.
0: Okay. So the one thing that we should mention is like, you know, the offensive side that we've seen from Edwards and Casey and obviously Luke Hughes that's sort of a known, but like from I mean Casey's been phenomenal and Edwards I think since his first couple games that he came back as he missed the first what, two series I think has been his speed is becoming evident and he's been good in his own end for the most part and you know, now it gives Michigan four guys that when they're on the ice, you feel pretty comfortable with. Then you have the third pair that, you know, you're still trying to figure out and they're two young kids. Um, but if those top four guys can solidify their places in their own defensive zone, I mean, it changes a lot. I mean, it's sort of what we thought at the beginning. If, if these guys are what what Michigan can rest on, then the goals will come because there's too much talent, but you know, they're all young. You're replacing a lot of scoring, but these are the guys that you look at and you think, They should all be pretty good.
1: Yeah, and and Luke Hughes has been coming on more, and they need more from him. Mm -hmm. They need more from him, especially on the offensive side, leading rushes and things like that. Um, There's plenty of talent here. They just need to figure out how to bring out the best in each player and what pairs bring that out. Yeah.
0: So defense, a little bit of improvement, goaltending. The forwards, I think, you know, there's a couple of guys you could look at and say, hey, put the puck in the net a couple more times, maybe Brindley, maybe Hallam. But other than that, like you've probably overachieved with TJ Hughes so far. You've maybe even to some extent overachieved with Rutmer, Rutmer Grorty. He's played really well. Duke has played phenomenally. He's probably arguably, you know, the most improved player from last year. I mean, Sammo's been there too. We kind of expected it from Sammo. He's first round talent. You think he's going to make a jump. Duke is you know, a different kind of player, but he has really done what he does well, even better and consistently. And then Adam Fantelli has been, you know, it's a bummer that he's missed what for you know, six games. Now geez, he's missed six of their 20 games. It's a bummer that that's happened because he's, he's just fun to watch. And, you know, he was on such a blistering scoring rate to start. Now it's kind of fading because he hasn't played as much, and and you know had a rougher series against Wisconsin, but um, they just need their guys in the lineup. I don't. There's really nothing else to say.
1: Yeah, there's a there's still a lot of upside with this forward group. I think that that TJ Hughes might come back to earth a bit, but Kevin Brindley isn't going to keep shooting like two percent for the year. I was <laughs> he has like one goal. Right? He has one goal on yeah. like fifty shots. Yeah.
0: Um, that's literally two percent.
1: And I think that Hallam. Uh, you'll probably get more from as the year goes along. I, you know, the team is just a little top-heavy in general as the roster construction. I well, don't if think they get, that's going to change too much, but...
0: If they get Naser back...
1: If they somehow got Naser back, then that really changes a ton.
0: Yeah, because uh, he was a mid-first-round I mean, mid pick.
1: Yep. I mean, certain people would say that he was a top-five talent in that draft. So Are they in this room? <laughs> maybe. So, yeah, getting him back would be, would be massive. Um, and would definitely change the bottom line, and and you know if, you know the, the chance that Brindley comes online, then maybe you can spread out the scoring a little bit more. Um, but yeah, they just need a healthy lineup, and they right. need the guys all together. And well, if that's you, why hopefully after the World Juniors it happens.
0: If you have Fantilli, then and Nazar comes back, you can put like T.J. Hughes and McGrory with him, yep. and they get Ciccolini back. And now all of a sudden, you're putting him with a Brinley and a Hallam. And I mean, now you're starting to see, okay, now here's some depth guys. I mean, that was the other thing we didn't really talk about. It's like Ciccolini took that terrible hit from Logan Cooley and hasn't played since. I mean, that's. Yep. That was like just one of the other really stupid, un- unfortunate things that happened. is like that's, you know, what, five, six games now that he's missed. And and,
1: and that was tough for the for team, a team that was already that, losing. Yeah, for that, that weekend in particular.
0: Yeah. Um,. So I think that the, that the forwards have more than probably held their own. I I think Michigan's generally speaking, with the you know maybe a game or two here or there that's the exception. They've scored enough to to win almost all of their games. Um, special teams, power play has been really good. I think they've scored. I mean they were what number one in the country for a while. They're still up there. They've they've gone through a lull towards the end, but you know that was fantilliless at some point and you know, guys being in and out of lineups. Um, But I think that what Nerado's done on the power play is, you know, last year they were good, but um, we kind of wanted a little bit more in terms of creativity and other things they try to do. And this year you look at that group and they've had to jumble a bunch of guys around and obviously not having Nazar and, and that sort of thing. And they've been really effective.
1: Yeah, I mean, I... I think overall, and I just I mean, this is just a broad thing about the team, too, is that they were always going to be a better team in the second half. Yeah. Because they're young. Because they're young. And I think, you know, this song I wrote about, but a lot of the, the podcast in general, we've had to reset expectations and remember what 2020-2021 was like. Yeah, And that's kind of, kind of the hardest part of this first half of the season. And I think it's an important thing to get out uh, in the show because – that year, there were a lot of frustrating things, yeah. and at this point in that year, you had just had the weird series against Minnesota where no one was playing, yeah. and I think they were 5-5 five and five at the Christmas break that year. Something um, like that. And they had lost you know they were like one and five in their last six going into christmas, um and it just was kind of like, man, this is not fun, and
0: <laughs> it looked like it was gonna be fun,
1: yeah, and then it was very not fun for a yeah. little bit, and then the second half was very choppy, and there were some very high points and low points, but for the most part, they were a lot better. They were like nine and four and one or two, or something like that in their last little bit there and you know, we saw them in down the stretch in that year play really tight with Wisconsin and, and really tight with Minnesota, and they would have been a very interesting team in the tournament. So, And they had Minnesota on the ropes in the yep. Big Ten semifinal. So this, that's kind of the template for this season, and I think that if they get better goaltending, they can absolutely be a team that can win the Big Ten tournament, and absolutely a team that can go very deep in the NCAA tournament. They got as much talent as anybody. It's just a matter of of kinda getting it up to speed a little bit more and And letting, getting everyone on the ice at the uh, same time. At the same time and the pieces fitting into place and gelling and the whole story. So Yeah, and
0: gelling like uh you know, we talked a little bit about the power play, but the penalty kill started slow and has really come along, sort of like how the defense has. And it's weird how Michigan has had those same issues over the years, but has brought – when one has come along, the, the other At the very has least,
1: you can say this time there's a new coach, and that's something that was not the case in past years. Yeah. So, um, And again, part of it, too, is that they've played a lot more younger defensemen than they did, in, you know, than we expected. So that's another just sort of – That's true. They were old the last few years on defense.
0: Even though they had guys like Power and Hughes, you still had Nick Blankenberg as getting probably the Lions' share of minutes on any unit. And now it's, you know, Truscott
1: and Hughes, who are only second- and third-year players. And I'm curious to see how this team improves just as a whole in the second half. And I think that will tell us a lot about the coaching. Because the recruiting started to uptick, and now there's whispers
0: about, you know, what does he still need to be interim? Well, yeah, I think the answer to that question is yes. I mean, it's been 20 games. I'm not doubting him. I think that in the end, Michigan probably ends up hiring him unless they just explode in the wrong directions in the second half. Because what you've seen, you've generally liked, especially resetting your expectations to things that are probably slightly more realistic. So in the end, he probably does get the job um but i don't think that there's a need to rush to that right now
1: do you i mean i put in my piece that i would not do that at the moment yeah um i haven't seen enough to make him the full-time coach that's 20
0: games what's what's the 20 game mark that you always say in the nhl at, at, thanksgiving? at thanksgiving yeah American oh, well, thanksgiving how many is that like uh, 25
1: yeah that's out of an 82 game season but
0: yeah um if, if they start making a run and you start getting a couple of sweeps and you yeah, can I see things building for, for in the second me, half. For
1: me, there has to be two things. The team has to improve in the second half, yeah. and they have to make the NCAA tournament. Well, yeah. If those, if those you, can't, two, you
0: can't miss the tournament with this amount of talent. If those I two care. things
1: happen, then I think I would be comfortable taking the interim tag off. I mean, there are people who follow hockey recruiting, I think, that have been the ones... um that have been the loudest in this regard. Like, that's when I've seen it talked about the most. Yeah. It's like, oh, Michigan got this guy. Time to tank the interim tag off. Uh, I don't really, sorry, I don't see the recruiting they've done recently as impressive. I love the players, but this is Michigan. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> getting that level of player is, is it, the expectation. Yeah. You're Alabama. You're Alabama. So if you're not getting five stars. You get no benefit for getting five stars from me. And only negative if you don't get them. Because that's the expectation. So it's like playing a MAC team in football. Right. There's, you can you, – only no negative benefit. outcomes. Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> – you know, I mean, it's fair. It, it's this way under Red and then under yeah. Mel, and now it's – you know, it, it, you could – it doesn't take very much to recruit at Michigan. You have so you many advantages. Just get it done. And yep. he's doing it. So good. Cool. Box checked. Yep. And then we move on to the next thing. So, uh, right, like, I mean, I, you know, the only way that wouldn't be the case is like – if, like, oh, we've recruited, like, you know, Connor Bedard is coming to Michigan, right? Like, if you do that, okay. <laughs> but that's not really realistic. And that like that's the only thing that could change the baseline.
0: Maybe he wants to play with Adam Fantilli.
1: <laughs> that's the only thing that could change the baseline for this. Um, otherwise, as long as you're getting consistent first-round talent in the recruiting, then you're doing that part of the job.
0: Yeah.
1: I, I agree. And it's probably the easiest part.
0: Well, maybe I,
1: I don't know. I think recruiting. You, you, you know I think my philosophy about college sports is that recruiting is a lot easier than the actually winning games and coaching. The developing,
0: probably whatever you want to put into it. Probably
1: depends but on on the on the coach, but yeah. I mean, I think that recruiting is not easy in the sense that I would be a very bad recruiter, so I don't want to say it's easy <laughs> in that way. But there are. You have to talk
0: to other. Humans. I
1: think there are many, many more. Bad coaches who are great recruiters than there are good coaches who are bad recruiters. Yeah, probably. Because coaching is hard, and winning games is hard. Yeah. And winning championships is hard. There's not yeah. that many coaches who do it. So that's what we should be focusing on and not the recruiting side.
0: All right. I do not disagree with that. Anything else left in this? Uh, World Juniors
1: are going to oh, be yeah. over the break. And before we when, record when the do next they episode, always... Uh, I think it's Christmas Day, like always, unless it's okay. the 26th. But um, And then there'll be, what, a week or two, ten days? The, the day after Christmas,
0: December 26th to January 5th. Is, is the gold medal game? Yep, that's okay. the period. And then they and then Michigan plays the NTDP on the 6th, that Friday, I think.
1: Yeah, so Michigan yeah. is sending Brinley, Dylan Duke, Rutger McGurdy, Seamus Casey and Luke Hughes, all five that were at the development camp, made it. The roster was just announced about an hour ago, so you know that's a lot of guys. Good for them, and they should, and they won't
0: miss anything relevant. Nope, like and, the GLI.
1: Yeah, got that run right <laughs> after last year, and then uh, Fantilli is on Team Canada. That was announced the other day. That's um, nice. So. Yeah, there are going to be a lot of players on the two teams, so that'll be pretty interesting to watch. If you are interested in the NHL draft, it is going to be a very, very fun World Juniors to watch because Fantilli and Bedard will be on the same team. Maybe the same line. A team that will also include Shane Wright, so a lot going on there. Wow. That's going to be very, very fun and very interesting. Do you plan on watching a lot of Juniors? Probably, mixed in with the bowl season. Yeah. Um, It's also fun because it's in – uh, the Maritimes, which you don't get very often. It's generally in big cities, but I mean, this is sizable cities, but Halifax where is, is where the gold medal will be. It's also in Moncton. Oh, it's New in Brunswick. Canada?
0: Yeah. Wasn't it there last year?
1: Yeah, but it was in Edmonton and Red oh. Deer. And this time it's in the Maritimes. So that's fun. Isn't its is it? I like when it goes to places that don't have NHL teams and that can. You know, so that means that games got. will be earlier, so there not be as many late games, I presume. Probably
0: not, because yeah, like no, if
1: they were out west, then they would be. A little I'm trying bit to remember later where west. the time zone starts. New Brunswick might not be an hour ahead, but well, I mean, Nova Scotia definitely is. Yeah. Um. So it's just in all over the the Maritimes. It's not in like. One well, I or think two. it's in Halifax and Moncton specifically. Okay, but. Uh, so it should be fun. Uh, I think matt faming is playing for for russia too so there'll be a lot going on um a fun celebration and then we'll be back to the action
0: yeah michigan plays ohio state on the 14th and 15th i believe at yost and then we will have a next podcast after that but until then merry christmas and happy new year go blue
1: In 2023 where we will see if Michigan finally has a fully healthy roster stay tuned